0: To another episode of Restorative Talks. It is a distinct pleasure and honor to introduce our guest today, Dr. Tiffany Thompson, who has uh, deeply impacted my career actually. And I, you know, we can go into that maybe later in the story at another time, but it's actually meeting you at ISNR actually completely shifted the way our business looks. So I'm deeply grateful for your influence and how you've impacted what raw brainwaves mean to me. <laughs> Which, uh, Yeah. So thank you.
1: No, no worries. Yeah.
0: So like, as we were getting started, we were just talking about like, there's this and actually just to unpack that statement. And that might be our jumping off point that there's this way that we can quantify like, you know, too high, too much, too little. And we think, you know, it, disorders or these different ways of prognostically looking at maps. But there's also a lot, you know, you, I think I you heard your talk on the psychodynamics of the EEG. And that completely blew my mind that there's this whole other layer to brainwave activity that I hadn't even acknowledged existing. So could you maybe- f- Jump in fill- there? Yeah just no pressure. Yeah.
1: Um, well so in in the field of neurotherapy in the field of neurology foremost and then on its heels the field of neurotherapy we have the propensity to pathologize data that's different than the norm. And so That's not a bad way to be when you're in a clinical job. We expect to first see what's going on that is the problem, what's the issue. But what I found is sometimes people's issues are emotional in nature, sometimes people's issues are from early life experiences, Um, sometimes things that look different also aren't necessarily bad. They aren't necessarily deviant. They aren't creating experiences and behaviors and psychological phenomena that's problematic, but might actually be something that's novel and uh, and extraordinary. And so this theory of the psychodynamic EEG or EEG in depth is essentially saying there's more to this than meets the eye. Uh, we, to be good doctors, uh, we first have to take into account, are there pathologies uh, that are showing up in the EEG uh, in the perspective of straight up empirical data? Is there, is there a scientific <laughs> abnormality that we need to first say looks like there's a cerebrovascular disorder or it looks like we have a little bit of ischemia here or it looks like this is a head injury. Um, but sometimes we get through that piece and the answer is none of the above. Mm. And the abnormal finding is actually something uh, much more psyche-oriented, as I would say. So that's sort of a glossary overview.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I love it. And I'm like, for, for those listeners that aren't even, you know, there's the these great really big medical terms, and then there's this idea of the psyche, right? So like, if, if, you, if you're not meeting that, like, there's not brain damage, per se, and like, what might we be looking at when we talk about that psyche? Or like, are we talking about the ideas of the ego here? Or What do you mean there?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And psyche is a term that now has a really broad definition in psychological circles. But the original theory of psyche, of course, came from Sigmund Freud, and he had the, the trinity of the psyche. And he said the psyche was, you know, the the self, and it's composed of the id, the ego, and the superego. And Freud said that the, the id was all these unconscious amoral drives and instincts that motivate the individual. And he was a big fan of libidinal drives, sexual drives, and that was sort of uh, one of the shortcomings of his theory was that it got uh, reduced to that. The ego, which is something we're all familiar with, not ego in the pejorative sense, but ego in sense of you know the the me. And then mm-hmm. the superego, which was the moralizing force that said, that's good, that's bad, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. And basically what happened was Jung took that theory of the psyche and split um, this unconscious realm where Freud said the id lived. Jung said, well, this is actually more than just Drives and amoral motives and impulses and urges, Jung said, this is actually two different components. It's the personal unconscious, which in your case would be Micah's unconscious, the experiences of Micah Mm -hmm. as a child, as a young man, um, the things that have happened to you, the things that you have repressed or suppressed. And so there's the personal, and then there's the collective unconscious. And this was one of Jung's most beautiful theories, um, which said that uh, there's a level of the unconscious which is a a connectivity that binds us all. And it hmm. transcends uh, cultures, it transcends time. It's something that's uh, been with us from the very beginning of mankind. And uh, it's things like archetypes, like the mother, the warrior, the lover, these fundamental characteristics that we all rely upon. But then a, a spiritual knowingness as Alan Watts might say, sort of the ground of being uh, that connects us all. And so um, that's that's the notion of the psyche. I mean, Jung, of course, also said there is an ego. And then he thought that there was the the, the capital S self, as he would say. So so the there's a small S self, which is the little me, and then there's the capital S self, which is the self-actualized me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is what, in my opinion, we're all ultimately after. Right, we're all after our the complete expression of self, or or some would say enlightenment.
0: Right? Yeah, self actualization, another way to to think about that. And I I, w- I would agree. I think one of those, you know, to bring Maslow into that, like when our foundational needs are met, right, then we can t- tend to transcend and include the previous stages, or to you know Beck and for that kind of spiral dynamic.
1: Right. Perhaps. Right. Yeah.
0: In in terms of EEG with that, right? Like because that's like right damn here. I'm like, oh man, I feel like I'm back. This is like psychology 101 kind of like maybe maybe 202, right? Like where we're getting <laughs> really into this stuff, right? And then you're like, well, how how would that impact or how would you even see that in brain Or what, what like what does a brainwave have to do with those different spaces?
1: Right. Yeah. I'll have to remember that question as I explain this, because it's a there's a chasm
0: mm-hmm.
1: between the world of neurology, the world of um, of science, the world of behaviorism and behavioral psychology. Yeah. And over here, the world of humanism, um, the world of psyche, the world of um, more psychodynamic psychology. and And so that chasm is one that a lot of students who are looking to get deeper into psychology find themselves sort of like staring at, thinking, well, I want to do both, right? I want to be able to run experiments. Um, I want to publish. I want to mine data. I want to be able to support what I believe. And I really care about, you know, the individual. And I, want, I do believe in, this, in, in the spirit or in the soul. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do believe that emotion uh, is, is real. And we're not just, you know, a bag of bones and biological, you know, burps and parts moving along. There's more to this than meets the eye right? And that's sort of the hard problem of consciousness. And so that chasm is one that we straddle here in this notion of EEG can, uh, also show, uh, emotions. Um, I, I mean, dare I say, um, spirit, soul level things, um, you, you can see, you know, different phenomena, uh, special superhuman powers and individuals through the EEG. And so, you know, it's, it's a, it's a divide. And as a psychophysiologist, as you are, and as I am, it's a tricky, it's a tricky divide to, to straddle because you must be both. Right. Mm. But, but the basic premise of, of this is we first must take into account the, the fundamental, empirical neurologically based findings of the EEG. When you see Delta in the EEG, you first generally think, oh, this is probably some white matter abnormality or some brain damage if we're looking at a healthy adult, for instance. Now in this theory of depth, this is when you've looked at this person, you said, I found this Delta and this is what I believe it to be. And they say, I've never had a head injury. I've always been a straight A student, but I happen to be very aggrieved. And so, um, and so I found that Delta is something that we see in individuals who can be, who have been dealing with grief. Mm-hmm. Um, but Delta has also been shown to be of higher amplitude in people that have precognitive capabilities, people who are clairvoyant, clairaudient, clairsentient, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, not always, but often it's a signature of the wounded healer. And so the individual who themselves were traumatized as a young person, and in my opinion, is generally as a very young person that this trauma um, happened because it's when we are in early life, age one and under, and also in utero that we're emanating great amounts of delta because delta is a, a frequency that creates the basic resting state networks of the brain. Delta is a one to four hertz frequency. It's a slow frequency. It's the first frequency that we create. That's one way to think about it. It's the frequency of the reptilian brain, but it's also the frequency that allows for neurons to grab onto glia, which is the stuff between neurons. Glia means glue in Latin. And so neurons grab onto glia and they build these long fiber white matter tracks that build the basic resting state networks of the brain. And so when we, are, when we are little, we're highly, highly malleable and we're make, making tremendous amounts of delta. And it's happening when we're awake, but also when we're asleep. As a healthy adult, you make delta when you're in deep dreamless sleep or slow wave sleep. But as babies, you're making it all the time because we're always proliferating and growing. We're in active neurogenesis all the time. And so by that rationale, if one is expressing excessive delta and it's not likened to a white matter abnormality or a brain injury, then there's some reason why that brain is making what it's made. And in my opinion, we're adaptive beings. And when we have a reason to have something on, so let's just say you have high amplitude delta, especially if you're seeing it come, in my opinion, through the central sites or homologous sites on either side of the midline, that individual has a a radar or an antenna for lack of a better word, where they're able to read the vibrations of the room in a different way than the rest of us. And mm-hmm. they're able to do that because they were trained, if you will, or conditioned to do that at a very young age uh, for the sake of survival. So that's one layer of this theory, and that's the bottom layer. And keep going. I could just go ad nauseum and talk for the next 30 minutes about it.
0: I mean, <laughs> that, you know, it's like... I I, I'm right there ready to listen. And I think one of the, for our listeners, we talk a lot about flow states and there's this idea of waking Delta or waking theta or, you know, some people talk about it even as like an alpha theta border. The neuroscience isn't quite there on like exactly what a flow state is, but it's also those Delta and theta states or waves are part of the way that those gamma bursts get carried through the brain. So there's, there's some, Synergy going on there between these slower waves and also these really creative, fast bursts of gamma, if you will. So, yeah. for, for those listeners that have heard us talk about, you know, say, theta states in that way, like this is right, different, different, but similar.
1: Yeah. So. And so, if we're going to jump to the other side of that spectrum, when we're producing gamma, so gamma will ride on slow waves when very the way that it would show up in a healthy eeg would be in bursts or in chirps and mm-hmm. so it's say a slow 4 hertz wave four oscillations per second and then at the at the top of every crest you get 11 little gammas, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that would be a 44 hertz frequency because if we packed more of those into a second, we'd have 44 oscillations within a second. So we have a harmonic happening, right? 11 mm-hmm. on top of four equals 44 hertz gamma. That's a highly ordered state. Now, one of one of the things that is happening in the universe, I believe, to humans, um, but also to humanity, is we're moving to more highly ordered states. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually one of the things that's happening with, this self-realization or Mm -hmm. self-actualization. And so when you have a gamma burst, your brain is saying, aha, that's novel. I recognize that that's, that's relevant and it's something I need to pay attention to or I've just gotten the right answer. Now, gamma, unlike the other frequencies, doesn't have a generator. There's no one part of the brain that, that generates gamma. Gamma shows up as a self-emergent property, um, meaning gamma shows up almost like a glow coming from the brain is one way to think about it. And so um, because it doesn't have a generator, I liken it to a rainbow. And a rainbow, of course, is something that arrives out of the right amount of droplets of water in the air and then sunshine shining through those droplets. And so when the brain creates gamma, it's creating it because we've entered a highly ordered state. Now, in this theory, the production of gamma is the creation or expression of a, an individualized experience, an individuated experience. And that, that term individuated individuation is a Jungian term. And it basically means that there is a, an integration of material to a a level of full realization. So let's just say that you had some deep, deep trauma and and you were able to move it and process it and integrate it in such a way that it informed your psyche, it helps your psyche evolve and it no longer traumatizes you. That would be an individuated or an individuation process. Mm -hmm. So I actually think that these bursts of gamma are little moments of completion where we're actually touching on that self-actualization.
0: I like that. <laughs> That's, <laughs> yeah. I really, I really, it, it's, yeah. I mean, and you know, like it. I, I often like, I think a lot of people can attribute those bursts of gamut to those moments of like creativity and insight. And like that goes hand in hand to me what you're like of you integration of those.
1: Right. Yeah. And so it's interesting. If you look at the the studies that have been done by Richie Davidson and Lutz out of the university of Wisconsin, what they found, and this is fairly well known, I think that high level Buddhist monks, like these Tibetan Buddhist monks that meditate all day, that they show a profile of high amplitude gamma, tonic gamma, persistent gamma, which is thought to be pathological in the scientific realm, right? But these guys are showing high amplitude gamma in the prefrontal cortex and the orbital frontal cortex. So right behind the eye sockets. And so I don't know if you've had this experience, but in mapping people working with EEG, I've come across plenty of people that are special, people that are channels, mediums, psychics, um, or just big time meditators that show persistent gamma. And gamma is something that's seen in Vipassana style meditations. And Vipassana means special insight. And so when people talk about getting downloads when they're meditating, that to me is gamma. That to me is the experience of that sort of aha, right?
0: Yeah. By a lightning bolt. Well, I'm a little torn here right now because I know there's a couple gamma protocols that you've actually written and I've used that are quite, quite interesting and like torn between diving into that a little bit or actually kind of completing through the brainwaves and then maybe diving into, maybe that's the way to go is like, I'll, I'll
1: do a real quick run over the rest of the theory, and yeah, then we can and then, talk about the, the application.
0: Yeah, because yeah, exactly. I think let's do that.
1: Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so, so if Delta is the first thing that we cover, and this is representative of the collective unconscious and all of its manifestations, um, the next frequency, four to eight hertz. That's a frequency that as adults we produce when we're unconscious, right? We produce delta when we're unconscious, when we're in deep dreamless sleep, we produce theta when we're unconscious. But when we're in what's called non-rapid eye movement two and non-rapid eye movement three stages of sleep, we produce theta down the midline. So that that divide between our hemispheres, that's where we start to emanate theta from um, the limbic structures of the brain, which is the old mammalian brain. Now, as children... We spend time in theta, in conscious waking state, and so we're running around, we're playing, we're picking up rocks, we're picking up sticks, and we're imagining things with them, right? Uh, and and our brain is in a space of fantasy and of reverie and of daydream mm-hmm. and of magic. And theta, like delta, is a frequency that's responsible for neurogeneration. And angiogenesis, right? So, the creation of new blood vessels and new capillaries to fuel the brain, but also the creation of new uh, connections, new synaptic connections, new dendrites, and what have you. And, And mind you, all the while, that pruning is happening and the brain is shifting and changing based upon our experiences, as well as what we've come in with genetically. So, theta then. Uh, is a frequency that dominates our childhood. And a little a little side note, and this would interest sort of the neuroscientists in your audience, but the thalamus can oscillate from two hertz to 14 hertz. And so all theta is actually alpha, <laughs> so trippy, um, but it's slow, right? So that's kind of a weird aside to think of. But But that said, when we are kiddos, we have a peak frequency, that it speeds up and and it usually hits its ending point by the time we're about 10 years old. And so this is how quickly we're processing information. When we're four months old, our peak frequency is four Hertz, right? When we are three years old, our peak frequency is eight Hertz. Mm -hmm. And then when we're nine years old, our peak frequency is nine Hertz. So we're speeding up in terms of how quickly we can process and download and upload information. Mm -hmm. And so during those times where we're processing free, uh, stuff at a six hertz, seven hertz, eight hertz rate, we're also in the world of Santa Claus and the Easter bunny and the tooth fairy and all these things that we really, truly, fully believe in. Um, and we're also programmable at that stage in life. Um, and that can be for better or for worse, just depending on who you're around, what their intentions are, what what's happening um, from an environmental perspective, if you're exposed to this, that, or the other, you know, whether it be abuse or religion or, you know, really wonderful, healthy upbringing, we change and and grow and and bend based upon what what we're given in that highly programmable state. And so Theta then becomes, especially as adults, the storehouse of our personal unconscious. That is to say, it is the holder of all of our trials and tribulations and traumas and terrors and abuses and fears. And and repressions and suppressions and things that we've quarantined beneath the surface of consciousness. Sometimes because it's too painful to access and we can't go on living with all of that stuff up in our lives. And sometimes it just gets pushed down because it's not available to us. So a lot of our memory isn't even declarative. I mean, we don't really have declarative memory, which is memory that's tied to words, until we actually have a more robust vocabulary. And so the personal unconscious is your stuff. And you know, there's there's layers of what's called the pre-conscious unconscious, there's a the procedural unconscious. Anyway, I digress. So there's there's different ways that we can categorize information that's put there. But that, in my opinion, is one of the things that Theta can be responsible for in the EEG. And so you might see someone with excessive Theta in their EEG and you'll think, oh, my goodness, this looks like gray matter damage. And the person says, no, nothing like that ever happened. Or you say, well, do you have ADD? And they'll say, well, no, I don't have ADD. And so it's when the, the clinical perspective of uh, pathology runs its course and, and you don't get any anywhere. That's when mm-hmm. we turn to the psychodynamic perspective.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so then alpha, which is the next frequency up, is the first frequency of consciousness. And it's roughly 8 to 12 hertz. We all have our peak frequencies. And, and when we get into flow states, there's so many ways to talk about flow states, but one could argue that sort of an alpha or even a alpha.
0: Mm-hmm. Frequency
1: range would be a space of being in a trance-like flow. There's a book called Trance As People Live that discusses that. And then there's also the book Flow by Cecil Memehaehoa.
0: Cecil me. Thank
1: you. Yeah. I, I can never remember it. So alpha is this frequency of being in the zone, being in the flow, being here and now, being very present. We close our eyes, we make alpha. Alpha is an internally oriented state. Mm -hmm. Close your eyes and your system says, oh, it's safe to relax and to let down there's no tigers anywhere. There's no threats. I can, I can go to sleep now. And so alpha reflects, you know, letting all the intention move inward and not externalizing it. So alpha can be this sort of transitory space, or I like to think of it as sort of the, the lining between the realms of the unconscious and realms of egoic conscious state, right? Cause mm-hmm. you're in a very loose sort of dissociated state when you're in alpha. I'll leave that at that because I could unpack alpha in a big way, but I want to stick to the theory. So, so meditation, active uh, imagination, different processes like this allow for us to be in that that loose state and in alpha. With with enough of it, we're allowed to pull up from the recesses of our different unconscious layers, material and individuate or integrate it, right? So having a robust amount of alpha means I can process in a very loose sort of way. When someone closes their eyes and they don't have alpha, that's a white knuckling. Mm-hmm. Right? That's your psyche saying like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna relax. I know what happens when I turn my attention to I'm gonna keep you know my ears open and my spidey senses on because I don't want to get attacked.
0: And we're hearing a lot of that in sleep right now with people where that hypervigilance just remains, right? Like they're not, people aren't sleeping because some people are in an experience right now where they're in a traumatic experience. that's not over. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're still turned on into that. So that could be a, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I hear that. And I've, I've heard the opposite right now as well, where people are sleeping a ton, like they can't stop. So.
0: Well, and there's such a bifurcation of that right now, right? Where there's like some people are working harder than they ever have and some people are really deeply resting and regenerating.
1: Right. Right. There's right. like,
0: yeah. It's yeah. yeah. like it's really a both end. Yeah. Hmm. So.
1: Well, so excessive alpha can have lots of pathological profiles from the empiricist perspective. Uh, because it's an internally oriented state, it can reflect the mind that will not stop. And so it can be the da 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 da. And so you'll find that people that have OCD or pure O, pure obsession, you might find an alpha thing in their components in their EEG. You might see that there's alpha at the anterior cingulate cortex, but that's an aside. So the last piece then is beta because we've discussed gamma, and beta is the ego, right? And again, not ego in the not ego in the pejorative sense. But ego, just in terms of the identity, like, who am I? Who are you? How do I stack up relative to that person? You know, am I going to survive? Am I better looking? Am I smarter? Do I have more money? Do I have a bigger car or house or what have you? And so, and so, you know, the frequencies of beta start at roughly 13 hertz and they go all the way up to 30 hertz, 30 to 40 hertz. I like to call bama, and then 40 plus hertz is, is gamma. And so in beta, we're active processing information, right? This is all executive functioning, planning, sequencing tasks, taking care of business. You and I are in beta right now as we're having this conversation. But beta run amok is stress. Beta run amok, too much beta is worry, stress, fear, dread, doubt. It can be just a somatic experience if something's not quite right. So beta is, is the ego and what, what this part of the brain, the part of the brain that creates beta, which is the six layers of pyramidal neurons that make up the, the gray matter or the cortex of the brain, that allows us to think what if, right? It allows us to project into the future, whereas the earlier layers of the brain, the reptilian brain allows us to be present. That's the cerebellum, the brainstem, the pons, the limbic structures of the brain, the old mammalian brain allow us to be in the present and in the past, so that we can learn from our mistakes. Now, this new brain, the neocortex, lets us go past, present, future, so we can project into the future and say, oh, that was the precedent of the same scenario a couple weeks ago. I know what happens. I'm going to choose a different path. Well, that's all well and fine. But what this new layer of the brain allows us to do is say, what if? What if I lose my job? What if I, you know, gain 20 pounds? What if my boyfriend breaks up with me? What if I get sick? What if, what if, what if, what if? And that is the home of neuroses, right? That's the home of these really disruptive thoughts and thought patterns that make living unbearable for a lot of humans. Because in general, for most of us, things are okay. I mean, life is doing its thing and it might not be perfect, but the what ifs, are what drive a lot of psychological issues. And that's an ego problem. And in my opinion, that's uh, a glitch in the system. So nature doesn't throw away what works, right? Nature hasn't thrown away anything in our evolution that's worked so far. We have all 10 fingers and maybe we're gonna get another one. But, um, but I don't think this part of our cerebral cortex is in alignment with where humanity has to go if we're going to survive, to be, you know, totally frank with my honest opinion. And so I think that next step, that next level, that moving into gamma is a very simplistic way of of going beyond the trap of what if and the neuroses that plagues so many of us. So that's it.
0: Cool. Uh, I mean, for all of you listening, if you're still like right in here, like you I think you all just got a glimpse of how like meeting Dr. Thompson has shifted my career and my perspective on the brain. Like I'm just sitting here feeling inspired. I hope I hope all of you have that sense of experience of like there's so much richness here. And there's also like to kind of bring some rubber to the road for the listeners, or also so that there's kind of two layers, right? Of like, well, we can do some really cool stuff with the neurofield. Devices, Right. We can do some cool entrainment pieces, but they're also, I'm also really curious if we can try to unpack that, like moving through what if a, from, you know, a entrainment standpoint, but be like, not everyone has access to that technology, but they still have access to that in terms of, you know, different mindfulness or movement or different practices.
1: Right. So, right. It's all, in, it's all inside actually.
0: Totally. Yeah. I mean. We're just enhancing or, or showing away with the, yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: So 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 ask the question again.
0: So if we're so you you know moving past what if right that was kind of this like great piece of like all right well that's you know a misfiring in the cerebral cortex being this what if and well as a listener to this like what could we do either at home or at home and also what could we do say in the office for someone that has a, a entrainment device or a neurofeedback device. Yeah. So
1: it's an interesting question. Well, I think. From the perspective of it at home, I think that the thing that's plaguing all of us right now on a much bigger level is the, f- the fact that we've forgotten that, that we're divine in essence,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? And I don't mean that in a namby pamby sort of way, but I actually mean like, if you look at your, look at. Look at your chemistry. Look at the, the organic being that you are, and you, you know that every single atom and molecule and subatomic particle in your being is a perfect cosmos of um, of, of of perfection. Everything's working beautifully together, and it's a representation of the divine. As as are you and your psyche and all that you are, and so. There's so many ways to, to return back to that knowing, but it's it's really just a matter of um, remembering, right? Because we've simply forgotten, uh, you know. So I think that's one of the things that's going to have to happen in this realignment, and also this this fallacy that we're separate from one another, right? And that you know during this weird ass time where there's a coronavirus rampant and people are you know things are going sideways, well, it's okay because. I've got my money and I've got my stash and I'm going to be just fine. That type of mindset is not what's going to get us out of this, you know? Oh. And so from a very meta perspective, those are some of the fundamentals I think that it's going to take for us to actually shift our collective psyche out of this time of chaos.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What does that mean for the individual from a, from, a, from the perspective of stimulating your brain? Um, if you have the fortune to... To work with devices or to know if somebody who does that that are um, inducing different states it's a matter of figuring out what's going wrong <laughs> and then and fixing it I guess that's not a very good answer but we could maybe outline that question a bit more
0: well and that's that first phase right like you know with anyone that's going to work on the brain or not anyone but the majority of people we're going to start with a QEEG we're going to look at raw data we're going to look at quantified data we're going to try to understand what's happening for the person qualitatively. Like what's your day to day? Like, like what's, what are you, you know, seeing me as the answer? What's the question? Like what's going on? Where do you want to be? Right. right. So there's, there's a certain level there of just unpacking that. And then, and there's also like another side of it. Like we, you know, we talked about different types of meditation, do different things to the brain. You know, I think our listeners, we did a, an episode with Dr. Tarrant a couple of weeks back.
1: Yeah, cool. Like the
0: neuromeditation of understanding like, hey, different types of styles do different things to your brain. So there's ways that we can actually, through our attention or intention, can actually shift our electrical physiology over time and with practice. So, yeah, it, there's, I love the just like, we are already complete sentiment, right? It's like, hey, like that, like that ultimate, like to me, like that depth or somatic psychotherapy wisdom of like that wisdom lives within your DNA. Like it's it's literally encoded into you. It's just learning to ask a question and learning to hear an answer from yourself to yourself. Hmm. It's, a, it's a really powerful process, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. So. I mean, I know there's like, there's part of me that just keeps wanting to drive like, hey, for the listener, that's like, what are you guys talking about? Or like, you know, how do you do that? Right. There's like, I'm wanting to help like throw a lifeline to them of like,
1: hey. For sure. Yeah. You know? and, and I don't think it, I don't think you need to get into the world of stimulation in order to do that. I don't think you need to spend money and get your brain trained. I think it's certainly one way, but I don't think it's the only way because the God that you seek is your own heart. Totally. And you said it beautifully when you said we are complete. And so, Oh, the webs we weave and we'll return. You return back to that spot. At some point you come in with that knowledge. And I think you exit with that knowledge as well Mm -hmm. that we're actually complete and total, but in the interim, you know, it's a balancing act, right? And so in this life where things are happening to us, it's sort of how do I figure this out? And, you know, if you're into brain waves, then you can see in a very simplistic sense, what do I have too much of? What What is my problem? Um, what am I experiencing that's not sitting well with me? And you can certainly get it mapped. You can get it quantified and you can hopefully get it explained to you. Hopefully. And, and then it's a matter of just receiving the right frequencies to shift you into balance, which is where you're naturally going anyway. We're just expediting the process, right? And so in a very simple way, beta, I like to say, beta hates theta, right? They're enemies. Um, they generally don't play well together. And, and so, if you have, for instance, excessive theta, and you do feel a little dingy, you know, theta is frequency that we produce when we're in dream state, um, when we're not fully conscious. If you have excessive theta when you're awake, then you might feel sort of like foggy, groggy, out of it, sleepy. You might be fatigued. And so then to, you know, entrain yourself with beta frequencies and that might be listening to binaural beats or other things like that. If you don't have access to stimulation modalities and vice versa, let's say you're too stressed and you have too much going on and you know, you just can't calm down. Well then listening to theta based frequencies or giving yourself theta frequencies for stimulation would be wise just mm-hmm. in a general sense.
0: Yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, for, We'll have a, a resource too on the website for people interested of these different ways that we can hack flow. There's this notion I've been grappling with of like moving out of this gray area. The gray area is like the endless scroll of Facebook or the like. We're not actually being productive and we're not actually recovering.
1: Thank you.
0: Right, and not that life is about productivity or recovering, but like you know, it's like we're so much is like, I'm not sleeping well enough or I'm sleeping too much or, or whatever it might be. But like, there's this like pain that we don't have enough. To, like we have a, a lack kind of mindset often. And it's like, right. well, a lot of this gets kind of sucked away in terms of time or energy by just being stuck in like this void and like moving deeply into like a regenerative theta mindfulness recovery based session or time or moment. Or allowing yourself to jump into that faster wave, more productive, more engaging.
1: Right, right. Anyway, so and not just this, yeah. So, so yeah, it's a matter of what do I need and how do I how do I get that.
0: Yeah. Well, I love it. I hope, you know, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sure unless if anyone's listening to this, I'm guessing like, they're so stoked right now. And I, I you know, I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Is there any like words of wisdom or kind of closing? We'll link, you know, your website and all that stuff in the show notes below, but is there anything you want to leave people or part, you know, in part? Yeah, of? I'm
1: trying to think. I mean, I guess more than anything, if anybody's into this notion of, of EEGO debt. This is what I did my doctoral work on, and thank you, Micah, for having me on your on your podcast. Because yeah. It's something that'm I'm, um, I'm excited to to put out there. Uh, I, there's a, a couple websites if people are interested in learning about EEG as a practitioner. there's a school of neurotherapy which is set to launch any day now and then you know there's clinics all over the country. We have our own um, in Santa Barbara called Neurofield Neurotherapy. And then lastly, if people are into stimulation of their own brains, there's lots of different companies that do neurostimulation, but Neurofield is the one that Micah referenced. And that's a company that I'm a part of alongside my husband, Nicholas Dobris in Santa Barbara. So there's some plugs
0: for you. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. Be sure to like and follow us. We are, as of now, live on iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, follow us and give us a review. It really does help. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks. Thanks, Micah.